Welcome. 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 You're listening to Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Today on the show, we have Jacqueline Gilstrap, she, her, who is a community connector, group facilitator, birth doula, and artist whose work is rooted in deep listening. Taylor and I had the opportunity to talk to Jacqueline about her work with A Visual Approach, which is a woman-founded firm, and we're super excited for you to hear our conversation. I hope you enjoy. Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're super excited that you're here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. With a background in global reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights, rape crisis support, ethical global engagement, and racial equity, you come to this show with a lot of experience. So, you know, we're really just curious to know, where did you first get activated? What what started your journey with this work? Yeah, I think this is a... This is kind of a hard question. I think that there was not one particular moment. There was kind of a series of moments where things kind of started to clarify and come into view. But I would say um, after college, I went into the Peace Corps and I lived overseas in Azerbaijan for a couple of years. And while I was there, I lived with a host family and I lived in deep community. And it really changed how I felt about the world and about family and um, chosen family and community and what it means to, uh, to really kind of support each other and to grow together and, um, and fellowship together. And so when I got back, um, I still wanted to stay in the global realm and Um, had learned a lot about women's rights and reproductive rights in Azerbaijan and so came back and started my work there but I really missed that local connection and so um, so while my job was really focused on the kind of global work um, I started getting involved with local organizations whether that was volunteering or going to an open mic of um, the local poetry organization or, um, or just attending events generally. Um, and so that, that sort of work and, and really kind of rooted me in Chapel Hill where I, I never thought I'd be living, but um, my work brought me, brought me to Chapel Hill. And so it, the, the local work really rooted me in Chapel Hill and helped me get to know my neighbors and the folks that were movers and shakers in, in and around this town. Um, while also being influenced by my focus on the global realm in my day-to-day work. So that kind of combination really fueled me and and kind of sparked something. And that was around the time when um, the Moral Monday movements were beginning in, in North Carolina. And so that was a place where I was really activated and started to think about and question, you know, what is my role here? Sure, I can show up and be one in a crowd, but what is my particular role? It's not necessarily um, standing up and speaking. It's not necessarily being the executive director of an organization. It's not necessarily even working in in an organization, you know, as we traditionally think of it, period. But it, I started to ask the question, what is my role? And, uh, and I've been on that exploration since. That's really beautiful. I think, um, I think you sharing that you experienced what living in deep community was like is, um, sounds, sounds extremely powerful and um, a different experience than we necessarily have here in America in general. Um, And, you know, I think some of us are uh, either lucky to have experience that are, you know, specifically put ourselves out there um, because we've heard or learned that it might be something that we're missing to try to find deep community. But um, I think that that's a really cool, like starting off point that you had that it wasn't necessarily an issue that affected you the most. It was like, okay, how about 
this deep community is like a, the foundation for how I could approach working on any issue. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to be frank, my family was going through a lot of changes. My parents were divorcing and I, it was the first time that I had lived far away from home. Mm-hmm. And so I was really kind of coming into my own self too, of who, who am I, who do I want to be in the world? And that is really heavily influenced by my living with this family who took me in. And it was a family of all, it was a mom and three daughters that were close to me in age. And I was learning about how they were navigating the world in a completely different context. And that was really powerful for me and really moving, um, especially moving that they took me in and cared for me and helped me find my way in the town. Um, but it, that taught me a lot about what it was like to, to yeah, be a human in the world and also I came back to the U.S. and while I had some critiques of Peace Corps, I um, I came back to the U.S. with this desire to kind of pay it forward and and all that love and acceptance and invitation to be a part of this this community. I wanted to to now like pay that forward and and create that kind of vibe in my own home in my own you know, the workspaces that I was in and in the, in my community more broadly. Definitely. So how do you feel that that propelled you forward with a visual approach? So for our listeners, we know you, Jacqueline, as um, the co-director of a visual approach, and you're working as a community connector, group facilitator, and an artist in this woman-founded um, firm that specializes in what y'all described as graphic recording of group facilitation. Um, and so how has that, how did your experience bring you to decide to, to found this organization and build community in this way? Yeah, good question. So yeah, like I said, I came back from Peace Corps and I began to, you know, I began this journey of trying to figure out who I was and, and where, where my place was. And so I worked in a global organization. I worked at UNC Chapel Hill. I volunteered with several organizations and uh, I loved every single job that I had. I met amazing people, but I always felt like something was missing. I always felt like my sort of intellectual, you know, business oriented side was, was in full force, but that my creative side was really absent. And I would try to find ways to bring that into my work and in, you know, bits and pieces, but I never felt like it was as, um, like as free as it wanted to be. And so that led to a level of burnout that, um, that I really had to acknowledge. And it was, you know, I was in a place of feeling, you know, physically sick emotionally exhausted. And I, I knew that something wasn't right. And so I decided to quit my job, quit all my volunteering, sell a lot of my belongings. And I went on the road. I traveled around the United States for close to two years, um, creating a podcast. It's, it's called Sitting in the Intersection. And also just um, trying to get back some of what I had in Peace Corps, which was staying with people for long periods of time, uh, really spending intimate space with uh, my friends that had moved around the, the United States, their families oftentimes, and even sometimes, you know, friends who are one or two steps removed, depending on where we were across the United States. And that was so special. I mean, it, it, was an opportunity for me to experiment. You know, I the, we I was with my um, my partner and my my podcast creative partner CJ, and we we were experimenting with podcasts. We were experimenting with interviews, experimenting with social media and things like that. And I learned a lot about what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do, who I who I wanted to work with, who I didn't want to work with, um, and 
you know, some of those things were really successful and others of them were like, good job, but we're not going to carry that forward. <laughs> um, and so through that process and, and through doing a lot of personal work during that time, a lot of journaling and reading and having deep conversations, um, you know, again, on this journey of, of asking myself and others, what's my role? What am I, who, who am I here to be? What are my contributions? And so once I got back to North Carolina, where at that point I had decided was really going to be my home base, I, um, I started consulting work. And so I was doing things like helping people with their curriculums, um, serving as interim directors, uh, you know, stepping in during a, a parental leave, just kind of random piecemeal things, but really starting to build up my, um, my reputation and my work as a consultant. But still this question of the creative piece was, was not, it still wasn't happening. And I was, I was like really frustrated um, and I started, I was like about to give up. I was applying to jobs that I thought I was qualified for, but nothing was working out. But then somehow the consulting bits kept coming up bit by bit. And, uh, and financially, this was a really hard time, as you can imagine. I mean, just a lot of question marks, a lot of unknowns. And then my longtime friend and former colleague from when I worked um, in global reproductive rights, Hope Tyson. She and I had stayed in touch. We knew we worked well together and she had founded a visual approach a couple of years earlier as a side hustle to her day job um, and was doing some graphic recording, you know, throughout the, mostly throughout the South, but also in connection with her day job. And so that work really started to grow. And she was like, Jax, like, I need your, I need your help. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't know how to do that. And she's like, listen, 50% of it is having good handwriting. You've got that down, which I do. I have good handwriting. Um, she's like, you know, you've got that down. Um, you know, just I'll teach you the rest. Come join me. She had a gig coming up that they they had. I knew the people and they had invited me to to kind of tag along. And so I went, I said, yes, I was like, well, you're my friend. I want to help you. Like, you know, I'll do this one thing. And when I went and I tried it out, it was just like this huge aha moment. It was like, you know, like when the sun shines through the clouds and the light hits you just right. Maybe you're looking over the, the coast or the beach it was that kind of a moment. Like I was like, are angels singing around me? I don't know. Um, but it was this moment where I felt like my intellectual side, my creative side, and then this other piece of me that's like my empath side that loves to just like listen and, and translate in a sense, like translate what I was hearing as a reflection back to the group. These three things, these three like core parts of who I felt I was kind of came into alignment to create something that was full of color and beauty and joy. And after each session, it was a conference. And so we were doing sessions throughout the days. Um, after each session, people would come up and they would say, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. I can't, I can't believe that you know, you made what I said look so pretty or sound so good, you know? And so then it was like all my three sides of myself, plus I'm getting all this joy and like pleasure from the audience of, of just being so excited about the graphic recording that I was, I mean, I was totally hooked. I remember going out for celebratory drinks that night and just being like, this is it. Like, I, I just knew it. And so that was one month before the pandemic happened. <laughs> and at that point, like all of my consulting work ended because I was doing, at that point, I was doing a lot of in-person group facilitation work. All of that ended because all events were cut off. They were just closed. And so I was like, oh no, <laughs> what am I going to do, you know? 
And Hope called me again and was like, believe it or not, a lot of people are reaching out to me because everyone's switching to virtual meetings and they want something different. People are starting to get tired of the virtual space really quickly. They need a new element and they're asking if we can pivot the in-person graphic recording that used to happen with huge paper and markers and easels and a big old setup, you know, in a room. They were asking, could we pivot to, you know, a, a virtual setting? And so um, Hope and I, we both, we kind of like bit the bullet, bought an iPad and started teaching ourselves how to make it go virtual. Um, I think both of us knew that it wasn't like a two week thing. It wasn't going to be a two week thing, <laughs> which was good foresight. Um, but we got the iPad and um, believe it or not, it was relatively simple to transition the work into a digital art kind of way. And, uh, and so then we started um, advertising to our friends and former colleagues and people that we knew, hey, this is a service that we offer. We, and, then, and so then I started working on how to make my facilitation skills virtual as well. So we were then able to offer, you know, group facilitation for any sort of meeting or conference and then our graphic recording services virtually. And then that sort of grew into other types of digital art um, and things like that. And so since then we've, we've officially joined forces where um, Hope and I are equal partners in the business and our work has really blossomed so much so that she quit her full-time job. We're both full-time with a visual approach and um, and, you know, continuing to think about how, how we grow the work. I love that story. And I love just hearing about in general, how people, you know, find their niche space in the movement, kind of like you did like that aha moment, like the little, ah, yes. like the little <laughs> halo on and all that stuff. Exactly. Because, because that's exactly what this show is about. You know, everybody has a space in the movement and it's just about finding what works for you, what excites you, what work do you want to do? You know, like what is your end goal? And so I think that's really great because, you know, graphic graphic recording is meaning making. It's the connection of ideas and people and it's how you create synergy and that community feeling that you want in organizations and meeting spaces and teams. And so, yeah, I just think that's really special. And I love that you were able to find your space in the movement. And I'm sad that it was right before COVID. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. But, you know, it's been great. I mean, I, I think that one of the ways that I think about the graphic recording piece is that it's it's a way it's not the only way of course but is it is a way to decolonize meeting spaces and and workspaces um to really kind of step away from just the written word to being able to see it more more visually to see it more um as a systems way of thinking and this kind of visual artistic way that really incorporates art and beauty and color and it acknowledges the power that art, beauty and color can have in the meaning making, in the community building of a team or people coming together from different organizations to attend a conference, um, a way of telling stories, a way of uh, even flattening hierarchies, I think, you know, everybody has the same level on a piece of paper or a, or a digital canvas. Um, and so I think I, I really view the graphic recording piece in that way. And then with the group facilitation work, which is a lot of how I work with, with Democracy and C, it's all about uh, bringing the same concept into a meeting space. So really uh, creating spaces for conversation and connection, creating spaces for individuals within a group to see the wisdom that they already hold within them um, and to participate in a way that is not just the leaders coming in to tell you what's what and that's it. A lot of the facilitation tactics that I use are about 
you know, kind of amplifying and promoting and drawing forth, pulling forth the voice of the people, so to speak. So everyone on a team is asked to invite, to, to participate. Everyone on a team is asked to share their ideas. And we start to practice that sort of horizontality, that sort of um, community in work as well. Uh, and so the, I really view um, my facilitation style as promoting that sort of um, belonging and, um, and connection and just, um, I don't know, kind of in inclusivity in a space where people who may never be consulted, you know, to me, they're exactly who I want. To, to get their voice in the room. And so I tried to design um, methodologies for meetings that, that bring that information in and that do it in a safe way. Like a lot of times I'll try to do, especially in the virtual space, this is easy, easier um, to bring in ways that people can get their voice into the room in an anonymous way so that we kind of address some of the power dynamics that are likely to exist. So, um, so I think, then there are these magical moments sometimes where we combine that sort of participatory group facilitation with the graphic recording. And I think in those moments, there's like, just, uh, it's like sunshine, you know, I, I think that those two pieces together really, um, really can make a meeting space feel completely different, feel much more connective and productive and, um, and at the same time, create space for community building amongst a team, amongst a group of people. Yeah, for if any of our listeners have never had, have never been in a meeting where there's an outside facilitator, um, it's a very different experience. And um, I can say from personal experience, Jacqueline, when you've been our facilitator, um, the goals that you just, you know, set up for for your hopes and the way that you come into a space, have you, you accomplish those when you are um, facilitating, when you facilitated for us. I think that it's, um, I've always, ex I've been able to experience it with you to feel like, to feel the vulnerability that you are setting up for the space is really great, I think, um, because you know, when you're on a team, there are the various power dynamics that you talked about within the team. And, but that doesn't mean that everybody doesn't have an opinion. So um, we all need to feel like we can share them and, and you set up that, that ability. And um, also by lifting up what different people say so that we can, as you said, recognize our own and each other's wisdom, because when we're all talking at each other, it's, it's hard to process, right? So having someone like you there to be able to be like this third party that says like, this is what I'm hearing from you all. And then we can be like, oh, that makes so much more sense when you synthesize it and you're not in the work. So like, you're not stuck in, you're not stuck in a certain point of view. Um, so bringing up things like that to light is, is, extremely helpful. It helps us be more efficient as a team. It helps us like understand the decisions we're making and feel more, feel stronger in decisions that we've made. Oh, I love hearing that. Thank you for sharing. And I mean, that is just the, the highest compliment to hear you say that I'm able to create, you know, kind of these vulnerable spaces that um, where people feel safe participating and that at the end of the day, you feel stronger as a team that you've been able to kind of move through some stuff. And I think that is absolutely one of the huge benefits of having an external facilitator for a meeting is that I, you know, I don't have the same, for lack of a better word, baggage that you all have with each other um, or just, you know, kind of preconceived preset experiences and, and um, interactions. And so, like you said, I can come in and be like, I'm, I'm seeing this or I'm noticing that, is that accurate? And, and just, I call it the vibe checker, like put it, put it out into the room, like, hey, 
let's acknowledge this because it, you know, it's only, I think it's um, Baldwin that says like, it's only in naming a thing that we can begin to deal with it, right? And, and so that is a goal of mine as a facilitator too, is to be brave in naming hard things and saying, oh, I'm, I'm sensing some hesitation here or, or even, you know, oh, everybody seems really tired right now. Let's take a break. Or maybe this is a stopping point. Um, but definitely those moments where it's like, I'm sensing some disagreement, you know, let's try to understand where the, um, where the challenging point is and really pull that to the, to the center and, and try to, to really talk through it, you know, cause I think a lot of times in workspaces, there's what's said, but then there's a whole lot of like, what's not said, it's just thought about in our heads. And so I think that as an external facilitator, that's one of my goals is to bring, bring everything into the light. And that can be really hard. And it can also be um, very unusual in a lot of workspaces um, to be asked to bring everything to the light um, and then deal with it, right? And so um, I, 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 th I also agree that that is a benefit of external facilitation and I, you know, I have amazing, amazing mentors and I've had really great experiences in my own work life in organizations where we had external facilitators and it changed the game. I mean, it completely changed the game. And so I, I, um, I, I did often know that that was, or, or I often thought this would be something that I feel like I could, I could do that. I could, I could get good at. And, um, and I, I think of myself as a facilitator kind of across the board in my life. Like I love to facilitate um, work meetings, but I also love to facilitate parties or gatherings at my house. I am a birth doula. And so I facilitate births. Um, I, you know, I facilitate family situations. I'm often a peacekeeper in, in different spaces and facilitate hard conversations. And so, I, I, I like to think of myself as, as a facilitator and, and part of the kind of etymology of that word is like to make, to make ease, to make easy. Um, and so my goal always is to make it easy to show up, make it easy to be present. Um, and that doesn't mean without challenges that doesn't mean without a need for bravery or taking risk things being easy does not mean there's no risk um, and so really it's about how do I create the conditions under which people can show up and have the conversations that need to be had that is perfect I've never I know fossil in Spanish means easy and I've literally never thought about that and that is yeah. Such a perfect way to understand the facilitator's role um, that it is to make it to make ease for everybody else. It doesn't mean that it's an easy job, but that's that's wonderful. Um, and I also wanted to to mention that as someone who's also experienced your graphic recording in a different space um, for our listeners, I just wanted to like share that if you haven't seen if you haven't experienced it or haven't seen what, what a graphic recording of a meeting is like, it is, it is unexpected, right? Like, you know, when we were in person, we would have like butcher block and like, we'd make like charts, I guess. And like, we'd take notes, but it was all super basic and linear. And, um, as someone who like, I'm a big note taker, that's like how I pay attention and that helps me keep my head on straight. But um, seeing the way that y'all do it is such an such a different way to intake the information from like a meeting that you just had. And um, one of the cool ways that y'all do it through Zoom now that we're all virtual is um, so for our listeners, they the iPad is basically like the the person's head in the picture box or whatever and so during the meeting um you can like watch Jacqueline draw as it goes on and you know it comes out as this like kind of like you described more of like the system it's 
it's moving across the screen in different ways um, to show how, you know, our thinking isn't linear, our, you know, our choices aren't linear and the discussion isn't. So um, it's it's just an, a, a very different way to, to see how you've had a conversation. Um, and I know that y'all have pictures of that on your website. So um, listeners, if you're interested, please go look them up, but they're super cool to see. And um, just the fact that you brought up like color and beauty, we've had the conversation on this podcast before that um, art and advocacy go hand in hand. And it's something that isn't thought about as much, or, you know, it's, it's maybe like a more it's a newer way of thinking about advocacy and um, just that advocacy is so emotional and so is art. So why shouldn't they be going together, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I just wanted to share that as well. Yeah. I mean, thank you. That I, I love the way that they talk about graphic recording in Spanish, that they, they call it a mural. And I, it does to me feel very much like a mural documentation of a conversation. And so you, you get this visual note taking that unfolds as a meeting unfolds. I mean, I, like you said, I, my zoom square becomes a blank canvas at the beginning of a meeting. And then as people are talking, I'm listening and listening and taking it in and translating from a a vocal audio language into a visual language. And it very much feels like translation. I, I do some translation work as well. And so it's, it's, it very much feels like a type of translation. Um, and so it is exciting to see it unfold, even, even for me, because I never know what it's going to be like, right? Because it is a true reflection of every single person who is in the room. And it's not just about what's spoken, although it is that, um, but it's also about the, the feel of the room, the feel of the conversation, um, we use color to depict a lot um, and imagery, of course. Um, and and yeah, it very much feels like a, a, a role within movement space. Um, and I think about just the, the influence that art has had on movements um, historically. And we think about, you know, movement posters or photography um, you know, images that we've seen and remembered from, from movement spaces that have happened years and years ago. I mean, those, oftentimes it's those images and those posters that really stick with us, right? And so um, I think about even how it must have been crazy to move from radio to TV and really have this new kind of influx of imagery in your mind to connect you to a show or to connect you to a person, a newscaster or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and so when I think about graphic recording as a, as a role within the movement, um, I, I do, I think about it as a way to remember, to remember, to remember, a way to document, a way to build connection to a conversation and also to build buy-in to decisions that are being made in process. Um, I think that it's a way to increase accessibility in a meeting, um, especially for English language learners, folks who um, need to maybe zone out a little bit and then come back in or for whom concentration is really hard. And so being able to be like, Oh shoot, I, I, I zoned out, what were we talking about? And then being able to, to look at the graphic recording. Um, I think about people for whom even just written language is hard. And so the, the imagery or the connection to color can really have a strong um, impact. So I, I see it that way. I also, from my own perspective of, as a role, as a white person in movement spaces across um, racial differences, I feel like it's a good role for me to play where my voice and my sort of presence takes a, a back seat in a way. And what, what I can do is help amplify, excuse me, amplify and reflect the conversation in a room. And so um, I, I really view my role as being a deep listener. And it feels often like just such an honor to be in the spaces that we're invited to be in. 
Um, and so I, I think a lot about how, how I can really um, honor and amplify and lift up the voices in the room in a way that is, is beautiful and artistic and um, really central to a, a storytelling narrative tactic, you know, of, of involving, of being involved in community spaces. Um, and so, yeah, that, that feels really good. And same with my facilitation, my group facilitation role is if I'm doing a lot of talking, I have not done my job. My job is to get people in the space talking with one another. And I am simply creating the container for it and holding that container sacred um, and, and trying to identify places where it could become easier for people to participate, whether that's a break or calling out a hard thing or you know, whatever it may be, but really just about you know, creating the container and then stepping back and letting the, the folks in the room you know, do, do the talking. Yeah, definitely. I love that. I love how you're kind of going into what you feel your role in the movement is, because that's something that we like to ask all of the movement makers that we bring on our podcast. And another thing that we ask them is, you know, like, what, what are you working towards in that role? Like, what is the future that you have imagined for all of us as you work towards that? Yes. I talk about this all the time because I think that it is our role as social justice organizers, advocates, whatever you know term you like, um, to not only be you know sort of up in arms about what we don't have or how terrible things are going or you know what's being taken away from us, but to also really dream into what is possible and start on an individual level, even if it's only in your heart, in your mind, changing the, the, the world and changing your world in order to change the world around you. And so um, that is core to a lot of how I operate. <laughs> um, I am a person who rests a lot. Um, I try, I work hard and there are some weeks where I don't rest, let's be honest, but um, during the weeks where I can, I do, and I, I feel that that is essential to my long-term sustainability as a graphic recorder, as a facilitator. I feel like it makes me be, it allows me to be more, more present in those spaces when I show up. Um, but it also, it also ensures that, um, that I'm not going to burn out, um, and so rest is essential. I think for me, art, color, beauty is essential. And, and really, um, you know, I really ascribe to the, the, the pleasure activism, you know, kind of way of thinking like we are trying to build a world worth staying alive for, worth being here for, worth bringing new generations into. And so to me, it's gotta be pleasurable. It's gotta be something that we're excited about, something to look forward to. And so I think a lot about what I want that to look like. For me, it involves, yeah, a lot of rest, a lot of art and color, a lot of gathering, a lot of over food, especially a lot of really delicious food. I like to host gatherings that involve some sort of food element or a fire, a bonfire element. Um, and just to, to be in community with one another. It also involves really intentional um, relationship building. And so that may be, you know, like I just made a bunch of Valentine's Day cards for my, for my friends and sent them out. Like it may be something like that. Um, it may be serving as a host and having people over, you know, to my house to talk about new candidates that are coming up at, in, a, in an upcoming election or things like that. It, it's not always specific to what is my job, what is my, my, my work, my day-to-day -day work with a visual approach. Sometimes it is, it definitely is. Um, and we choose the types of organizations we want to work with and that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of times it's, how I start my day, it's how I'm building and rest throughout the day, how I'm making space for community in my schedule, um, that I'm not just like so exhausted every day, you know, that I can't even think about hanging out with somebody, 
you know, um, or let's say, you know, a friend just had a baby. It's, it's sometimes me being like, I'm going to take two or three weeks off to just go help them with the baby. Um, and those, those are really important pieces for me is like that flexible flexibility. So building a life that is relatively flexible and spacious and slow and, um, and involves, involves people. Like, I don't know if I'm sure you're familiar with that meme. That's like, let's make plans and then cancel them. And yay. You know, like, I don't, I, I hate that meme. I, I get it. I've definitely been there and I probably still will continue to be there, but I also like that is, that's not within my value system. So I really try to build a life where it doesn't feel so terrifying or exhausting to, to keep a plan with a friend, right. Or to show up in that way. Um, and you know, one, I will say like one other thing that influenced this for me is I, uh, several years back, I lost a lot of my, I, I lost a lot of people in the span of one year to different kinds of death. And a lot of them were way too young to be dying. And um, it changes you. It really changes you. Like I'm, I celebrate birthdays big. Um, I, I'm, happy to be alive and I want to continue to be alive and I want to create a world that makes it exciting to continue to be alive and um and that's that's what I try to do every day I think that's inspiring because I think that that's really all that any of us can do and I think it's really it's really easy to just get jaded by capitalism and life and just you're indoctrinated from when you're a kid to just have to do these things and you don't like them and you just have to get over it. And so I think all we can try to do in our life is try to create those moments of joy, make them sustainable and, you know, just make life as enjoyable as it can be, because that's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a fight every day. Like we're doing right now. We're fighting every day so that it can be enjoyable and it can be happy and we don't have to do this anymore. So yeah, I think that was I mean, I love the concept of beloved community. Um, I have some friends and colleagues that are currently writing a book called Beloved Economies. And, and that's, uh, that's something that I think about a lot is like, how can I be crea- creating and building beloved community? Of course, I mean, we, you know, I, I love the concept, but then how do I extend that? You mentioned like the, the woes of capitalism. How do I extend that into thinking about the various economies that I'm a part of and how I can create, um, you know, opportunities to re-envision the, the hold that capitalism has over our day-to-day lives? And so, yeah, I, I, that, that's another, that's another thing when I think about, you know, kind of what's my role in movement and what, what am I planning towards? What am I working towards? It's, it's a a future where, um, our, the economies that we're a part of feel, feel beloved. And that's, I think that's often like, no, those words don't go together. Um, but that, that is a goal of mine. And I've, you know, I think about it in different ways, but that was definitely another, another thing that I'm working towards. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we've, we've touched on that in, in a bunch of our episodes, but I think that if, I don't know if anyone's been able to explain something that it would just be one word, like <laughs> a joyful future. Um, and so I think that for me, I, I received that in a very powerful way because beloved future. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that, yeah, I'm, that is sitting with me now to, to think about how, because we've recently discussed how difficult it is to, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, how difficult it is to, to think of a new future because it will be it's so different and we've never seen what it is that we need. Um, but maybe if we gut check it with our feelings that if our future is loving and if our future is joyous. And then maybe that's, maybe that's it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, you know, I I also want to say like, you know, I'm not just some like positive patty here, you know, (laughs) like some Pollyanna where, you know, everything's all like rosy eyed and glittery and rainbows or whatever. 
to to get to that place of joy and to really like live in that requires a lot a lot of regular maintenance of your self work Mm -hmm. um and that's your anti-racism work that's your anti-capitalism work that's your uh what i call breaking up with codependency that's that's your you know, um, journaling to understand your shadow sides, the darker sides of who you are. And it's therapy, you know, weekly or every other week or monthly or however often you're able to do it. It's um, really exploring the harder things within yourself and within your community, within your family, within your history to understand it, to acknowledge it, um, to not shy away from it. and to also then in light of all that make a plan for okay so i acknowledge all of these things about myself and about my 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 past my history my ancestry um so how am i going to make up for that how am i going to balance that out how i'm going to contribute things that offset the negative impact that I create in a daily basis and that my ancestry has created in the world. And so to me, being able to acknowledge the the dark pieces, the, the harder pieces makes the joy feel so much more joyful, feel, feel so much more um, exciting and, and, and able to really live that out loud because you're not ignoring the dark pieces. And a lot of times, you guys, like a lot of times that comes with days of grief, that comes with days of feeling depressed, that comes with periods of of being lonely or longing for a different world or grieving, you know, what we don't have or what we're losing. That is very present in my life. And I, I, um, like, I don't want it to seem as though everything's always positive and everything's always happy and joyful. That is what I'm working towards. That is what I'm pursuing. But in order to do that, you can't skip the hard parts along the way. Um, and that's, it's, it's also like not a thing that you're like, okay, check. I did the hard parts that one year, you know, like it's, it's maintenance. It's, it's regularly asking those questions of yourselves and your friend group and, um, and your community and your family and, and all of that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a practice. It's a, it's an everyday thing and, and it lives right next to the joy. Right. And maybe they're flip sides of the same coin, but you can't have one without the other, right? Like I just, I I don't believe, I don't believe you can. And so that feels important to say too. Yeah. And, you know, Jacqueline, before we close out, I'm just curious if, do you have any advice for our listeners who may be in that hard part right now? Like, you know, we're all fighting for that future, but things are kind of hard right now. So do you have any advice for maybe our listeners who might be going through it? First of all, I love you. Be here, stay here. We need you. Um, and I would say as far as advice, um, one of my mantras is stay curious. And I use that when I'm having hard conversations. I use that in facilitation. I use that for myself, my own exploration. Just stay curious and For me, that looks like I have a regular journaling practice. I have a therapist. Um, I'm, I ask hard questions of myself, of my partner, of my, my community, my business partner. Um, I try to not just settle for what I historically have seen or, um, or what I've observed around me, but to really ask questions of it. Um, and then document your process. Like, that's why I love my journaling practice. It maybe journaling isn't for you. Maybe it's voice memos. Maybe it's an art practice. Maybe it's some, you know, maybe it's walks where you're just thinking, but find a way to document your own process and, and see that progress over time. Um, I think that can really be helpful, but, but really just staying curious and, you know, talking to nature, talking to your pets, talking to your friends, talking to yourself. Um, and, and just keep 
I think that if we focus on having this kind of endless curiosity, um, there's always going to be some question you're going to want to know the answer to. And, and some days, hopefully that will be enough to, to keep you going through the day and to bring you to the next day. I love that piece of advice. So Jacqueline, how can um, some of our listeners find you if they want to learn more about you or possibly work with you? Yes, amazing. So the best way is to reach us by visiting our website, www.avisualapproach.com, avisualapproach.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can just search a visual approach or at a visual approach. Um, and you can reach out to us that way. And through our through those channels and through our website, you can easily get in touch with us uh, or you can direct uh, message us by email. And our email is approachavisual at gmail.com. Approachavisual at gmail.com. So yeah, we, we love for you to join us. Follow us on Instagram. That's where we're most active, I would say. Um, and we are, we'd be happy to work together, hear from you, collaborate, whatever ideas you might have. We want to hear them. To our listeners, stay curious. Jacqueline, thank you so much for that advice and for being here with us today on the podcast. I've had a great time talking with you today. Thank y'all. Thanks for having me. Thanks for helping us create a North Carolina that's built by us. And thanks for listening to this podcast made of, by, and for the people. Bye. Bye. Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DemocracyNC. Or you can visit our website at democracync.org.